Sometimes I'll do that um, for the bridge, but I'm also an elder here at the bridge, and I'm helping to step in for Jerry to preach as he's gone on vacation. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get to be here with you this morning. I'm excited for the topic that I get to speak on as uh, the Spirit-Filled Life, and specifically the title that I gave for today is His Glory Dwells, Let Him Shine. So why that title? Well, I more or less stumbled upon the first part of it, His Glory Dwells, from the song that my wife Sarah has set for her alarm in the mornings when our daughter has to get her jacket on and her snow pants on for school. Uh, it's the song called Emmanuel's Land, and there's, there's this part in the chorus that says, Your glory dwells, your glory dwells, Emmanuel, your glory dwells, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. So this, this song stuck out to me. Uh, it's, it's one that's been redone by a number of people. It's from the 1800, an 1800 hymn. So some of the words like glory and dwelleth, we don't necessarily use much in our culture these days. So I wanted to define a couple of those for you, uh, just to give you a little context for uh, the, the title. So glory, we often hear with like used in wartime settings or with sports. But I, some of the definitions that Webster gives that I feel like are applicable for this are uh, glory is something that secures praise or renown. Uh, glory is something that displays great beauty and splendor. So another way that this, you know, this phrase in the chorus could be said is uh, that God's great beauty and splendor lives as a resident in Emmanuel's land. Sorry, I forgot to say uh, dwelleth. So the word dwelleth is short for dwell, and dwell means to live as a resident. So uh, the phrase could be said, said that God's great beauty and splendor live as a resident in Emmanuel's land. I think this song also stuck out to me because uh, around Christmas time, we often hear the name Emmanuel, right? Uh, Emmanuel means God with us because that's just what he did at Christmas time, right? God came to live as a resident among the people he created. And as I was uh, thinking about God coming in the flesh uh, at his birth during Christmas season to dwell amongst his people, I thought of other times in history that he's dwelled among people. Um, and we're familiar with a lot of them. If, uh, if we know the biblical narrative, right, Genesis 1 and 2, God creates people and dwells with them in the Garden of Eden. Uh, after Moses takes the people into the wilderness, uh, God sets, has them set up a tent, and he dwells in the tent, his presence. Eventually, it becomes a temple, and his presence dwells in this temple. Around that time, too, there's these judges, these kings, and these prophets that God raises up to lead the people, and the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live within these people to give them power, wisdom, guidance uh, for a certain time, for a specific thing. Uh, then when Jesus comes, God himself, his, he, he's on earth, he's present on earth in physical form. And then Jesus, when he was on earth, he, he, forced, he um, foreshadowed and talked about a day when the Holy Spirit would come in a new way. Uh, he'd come as, as a permanent presence in the life of a Christian. Um, and it says in, in John 7, it wasn't yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it happened after he was crucified, raised from the dead, and went back up to heaven that, this, that the Holy Spirit would come in this new way. And then that happened in the book of Acts at Pentecost. There's a, a time where the Holy Spirit comes, uh, uses this description of tongues of fire rest on people, and they start speaking in different languages that they've never spoken before, and God does amazing things, and the church grows. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about it like this. Um, it says that, um, let's say Ephesians 1. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. I have this verse memorized. 
uh, talks about how uh, he's a seal who, the Holy Spirit is a seal who's a deposit that guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit comes down into our lives to be this deposit and guarantees our, our inheritance and guarantees heaven for us. So, Holy Spirit's living in the life of Christians. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that God's presence dwells within us? Um, what kind of difference does that make? You know, Ephesians 1 gives us this promise of heaven. We're secure until the redemption, until Christ comes back again, that we'll be in heaven with him. But aside from that, there's not really much of a difference that God dwelling in us makes. We really have the choice as Christians not to, to do much with that reality, God living in us. I think there's a great temptation, there's a danger, and there's a missed opportunity when we just ask him to dwell in us because our lives won't look much different um, if God's only dwelling in us and, and we're still running the show. So maybe you've never struggled with letting God take control, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could all grow in that area of God take control, start running the show. I, uh, because I think the reality is, right, we're so often content to let God's glory dwell uh, when, we have, when we have the opportunity to let them shine, we, we still want to manufacture things, control things. So in light of this, I think it's helpful for us to ask ourselves, am I satisfied with just knowing that I'm saved, that I have this relationship with God? Am I satisfied with my current experience as a Christian? Uh, or do I believe that God might have more for me? So as you guys think about that, as you ponder those questions for yourself, I, I think God has something, some good news for us in his word today. Uh, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus teaches his disciples about the great benefits of him leaving and how the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with them instead is a better thing. So before we get into the passage, I want to invite you guys to pray with me for this time. Jesus, thank you uh, that you uh, love us, that you want what's best for us, that you love us so much that you died for us, Jesus, that you gave us, uh, Heavenly Father, that you gave us your only son, uh, that we could have this relationship with you and we could have life and life to the full. And pray that you'd meet us where we're at today, Jesus, and that you'd help us to take away from this time what you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John today, specifically chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. So if you have your Bible, if you picked one up on the way in, you could look at that. Otherwise, I'll have the verses up on the screen here for you to look at. Uh, while you're turning there, I just wanted to give you a little context for the book of John. Some of the background is uh, that this book was written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He's one of the closest of the three closest disciples to Jesus. So you got to, a lot of these things are eyewitnesses' experiences that John had of Jesus. Um, and a little bit of structure of the book. So the first 11 chapters of the book is the majority of Jesus' three years of ministry and that are seen in the majority of his life. The last 10 chapters cover the last week of his life before the crucifixion. And we're going to specifically be looking in this passage of a five-chapter section that just one dialogue Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room uh, around the, the time of the First Communion. Um, so if you look at verse starting in verse 1, um, actually, sorry, I wanted to give a little setting context. Chapter 12, five days before the Jewish Passover, takes place, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he enters to the praise of people. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest, and these are the people that would soon say, crucify him, right? Uh, after some teaching, Jesus would eventually have his disciples prepare this Passover meal in the upper room, and that's where this, uh, this setting takes place. So, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do things, these things, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. So a few observations so far. Uh, he refers to these things a couple times to his disciples. What are these things? Well, if you look back in the context of this passage, he talks about a number of different things, and he does a number of different things. He washes the disciples' feet, uh, and he tells them about how leaders are to be servants. Uh, he talks about Judas that's going to betray him and Peter that's going to deny him. He shares that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he's going to heaven, that he's going to prepare a place for them. Um, he talks about how life's going to be tough for them. But he also talks a decent amount about the Holy Spirit, who he also refers to as the helper. So that's a little of the context of these things. He mentions that sorrow is going to fill their heart. Uh, they won't have him to lead them. They won't have him to teach them uh, to perform miracles. He's going to be in heaven. So sorrow has filled their hearts probably in some, some ways because they had a misunderstanding of what Jesus was going to do. They thought that he was going to come to earth and set up his kingdom right away and set up his rule and reign right away, but he had a different plan. They were probably more concerned as well about themselves, like, we're not going to have our leader, how are we going to do this if he's not here, you know? Probably a little bit more self-centered focus in those things as well. He says, you don't ask me where I'm going, for if I, I will better, uh, but he goes on to say, the helper won't come unless I go away. That was God's plan. He would leave, the Holy Spirit, the helper would come to help us. Um, like, right, Jesus... He's human. He takes on flesh. He's a limited person. He's only able to be in so many settings at so many times. He has a limited presence on earth. But the Holy Spirit, when God sends him, he has an unlimited presence. He can, do what, he can live as a resident in the life of every Christian anywhere. And you can have an immediate access to him 24-7. It's a lot better of a deal, right? I think of it like Michael Jordan, for example. Let's say you had Michael Jordan as your basketball coach. Or you had Michael Jordan living inside of you. What do you think is going to help you perform better as a basketball player? Michael Jordan coaching you, Michael Jordan living inside of you, right? Probably Michael Jordan living inside of you. That's kind of the idea we get. So he continues, what else is the Holy Spirit going to do? When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So one of the main reasons we see the Holy Spirit came was to convict people, convict us of our sin. Uh, but he also said he's going to the Father, so the Holy Spirit's going to carry on this role that Jesus had of teaching through us and as, his, as his followers in many ways, uh, through his word. And also talks about the ruler of the world is condemned. You know, the, the title, the ruler of the world, is often given to Satan, and there's this picture, really, of the Jesus affirms that when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, the penalty of their sin is done away with. The power of sin in their life is broken. The ruler of this world stands condemned. Satan stands condemned. He's defeated because of what Jesus did, because of the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. So the section wraps up. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Holy Spirit, when we're in the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he, 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he talks about how, I mean, Jesus shares a lot with them in, in his last words, but he says, I can't share everything with you because you can't understand it, you can't bear it now. The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand more. He's going to help you bear more uh, when he comes. He's going to be a guide into all truth. He's going to guide us, give us truth. Uh, his role, like one of his main purposes, right, is to glorify Jesus. He said, you'll glorify me. He reveals God's great beauty and splendor, which leads to greater praise for God in our lives and to others. And the last sentence, I really like that too. Uh, Jesus says, we have access to all God's resources, right? Uh, he's, the Father gave to Jesus. Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives to us. Anything that God has, we're his children, like we sung about, right? We have access to, through the Holy Spirit, to everything that is God's. So how does this fit into God's picture? How does this relate to us? Um, you know, in the next chapter, um, Jesus prays a prayer. John 17, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for everyone that's going to believe in him after that time. And I have this, that, that last section up there on the screen, it says, he says, I do not ask for these only, my disciples and these things, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, loved them, even as you have loved me. So there's this idea that, right, God will come to live in us. People will see our lives, and they'll see something different, and that will give glory to God, um, to, a, to a watching world. So after Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, uh, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. There's 120 people gathered um, in the early church initially, and when the Holy Spirit comes on them, they preach the gospel uh, to people in Jerusalem at the time in different languages, and 3,000 people come to Christ uh, and become Christians. And then after that, the, the church is never the same. Like, God is working through these people, and, and the church explodes and continues to grow, and that's what's happening today. God's continuing to do amazing things through people, everyday, normal people, uh, and his church grows 2,000 years later. So we see this reality, right? When we let him shine through us, when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, we experience a fruitful life, and God will make his glory known. So God makes his glory known to us. God makes his glory known through us um, are some of the ways that he does that. But first, we need to let him shine. So what, is, what does that mean? If we're going to let him shine, then he can make his glory known to and through us. So this idea of letting our light shine, some of you guys might have heard that before from songs, but it comes from a passage, Matthew 5, 16. Uh, this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So a question I have, right? If, if people are going to see our good works, how are they going to give glory to God who's in heaven unless we as Christians are letting him work through us? And unless we as Christians are allowing him to do his work through us? We really have that choice to let God do that or not. 
So we talked at the beginning about dwelling, right? God's glory dwells in us. He came to dwell on earth. He came to dwell within Christians. What's the difference between dwelling and filling is also another term the Bible uses as it describes the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life, Christian's life. So all believers have this Holy Spirit living in them the moment they trust Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. But we also still have the freedom to sin, to put ourselves back in control of our own lives instead of giving God control. We can do that moment by moment, day by day. Scripture has this analogy uh, that I find helpful. It's, it's described by Paul in Galatians as keeping in step with the Spirit. We're implored to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit's, if we're walking with the Holy Spirit and we're stepping with Him and walking with Him and following His lead, uh, oftentimes if we want to do something else, do our own thing, we get out of step with the Spirit and He's walking that way and we're walking this way. Keeping in step with the Spirit is just acknowledging, well, okay, God, I've, I've gotten out of step with you. I want to get back in step with you and start walking with you again, following your lead, giving you control. That's kind of the idea that Paul describes for us, keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, there's a couple other helpful illustrations I've heard over the years that have been helpful for me. Uh, there's one of a throne illustration, right? You know, I think Carrie Underwood talks about it as Jesus taking the wheel, right? But uh, it, it, you could think of it as a throne, right? Who's in control of your life? Who's the, the king or the queen of your life? Are you or are you letting the king of kings be in control of your life? Am, am I letting him do that? Um, is he resident in our lives or is he president? You know, is he just dwelling? Is he chilling in our lives in our home or is he the president? Is he running the show? Um, all these ways you, you could describe letting, could be a way to describe letting God shine through you. You're giving him control to make his presence known to do his work through you, to do his work through us. I think a question that's very important for all of us to be able to answer with confidence is this. How can you know for sure with 100% confidence that the Holy Spirit isn't just dwelling in your lives, but he's filling you. How can you be 100% sure the Holy Spirit isn't just dwelling in your lives, but he's filling you? Most times I ask people that question, they share, well, if, I'm, if my life looks like God would want it to look like, that's, that's probably a good indicator that God's filling me. Or if I'm seeing these good actions in my life, right, that's probably a good indicator. Those are partially true and good, and good indicators, but it's not the best and most reliable gauge to know. Um, and I wanted to show you guys uh, what, what it could look like. So there's this concept of spiritual breathing. It's uh, just an anal another analogy. It's similar to the idea of keeping in step with the Spirit, and there's some verses from the Bible that go with this. So if you look up here, 1 John 1, 9, Jerry shares this with us often, uh, but it's this promise we have from the Bible, from God's word, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Uh, coming back to the analogy, spiritual breathing, right? It's a process of breathing is a process of exhaling and inhaling. We exhale the carbon monoxide, dioxide, I should know this, dioxide, thank you. Um, and we inhale uh, oxygen. We inhale the good. Um, so exhaling spiritually is confessing our sins, right? We have this promise that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. It's kind of like any relationship you have with a friend or with a spouse. You need to get right, like work through conflict if there's conflict, uh, before you want to be buddy-buddy with that person, right? Oh, let's go do something fun, but there's this issue. Resolve the issue first, then you can ask 
to, to have this right relationship with the person. So that inhaling is asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, asking God to take control, asking him to shine through you. So we're actually commanded, we're given a lot of commands and promises in the Bible. Um, one of the things we're commanded to in Ephesians 5, it says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, we're also promised something, right? John 5, 1 John 5, 14 to 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask for anything according to his will, we can know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's a pretty awesome promise, right? It doesn't say we could ask for a million dollars and know God's going to give it to us, but it does say that if we ask for something that's according to his will, we can know he's going to give it to us. So if we know that he commands us to be filled with the Spirit and we ask to be filled with the Spirit, how confident can we be that he's going to do it? 100%, right? Why? Because God never breaks his promises. We're trusting not in our efforts or our outward actions. Am I feeling like the Holy Spirit's filling me? Does my life look like the Holy Spirit's filling me? No, I'm trusting in God's promise that he said, if I asked for him to fill me, I know he's going to do it because he promised he's going to do it. So I can have confidence whatever situation I step into, if I'm asking, if, I'm, if I've confessed my sins, God, I know this, is, this isn't right. I'm not walking in step with you. Uh, please forgive that. Help me be in right step, right relationship with you. God, now I ask you to fill me. I can know with confidence that he's going to do that, that he's going to be filling me, that he's going to be controlling me because he promised he would, he would do it. So our confidence then is based solely on faith in the reliability of God and his word. We can know with 100% confidence that if we ask for something according to his will, he'll give it to us. He doesn't break his promises. So if we let him shine, we can expect, uh, what can we expect to happen? I think there's two things we can expect to happen if we're doing this. Uh, we can expect that God's going to make his glory known to us. Uh, as we read about even in the first couple verses, this life of following Jesus is still hard. It was hard for the disciples. I mean, some of the things Jesus said, right? Uh, I wrote, wrote these things to you so you wouldn't fall away. Uh, people are going to try to kill you and think they're offering a service to God. Um, sorrow is going to fill your heart. You know, there's, there's going to be hard things for you in this life. And there's hard things still for us as Christians, right? Like, we go through sickness, through pain, through struggles with sin, broken relationships, loneliness, death of loved ones. You know, I think there's a lot of things that are hard about the Christian life. Uh, but the other reality that's true, that he makes his... Uh, glory known to us is that he's given us a helper. Even in these, amidst these hard times, he's given us his presence and his provision. Uh, at the end of the verse we looked at, the passage we looked at, he said, uh, you can't bear these things now, but he will eventually help us to, in the, Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll help us to bear the hard things in life. He'll guide us into truth. Man, I, I'm lacking wisdom. I need help. He's going to guide us into truth. Um, he will glorify me and he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, all that the Father has is mine, therefore he said, I will declare it to you. So everything that God has, he gives to us. Like we experience this life and life to the full. And that's what this, this next verse talks about as well, is this picture of life to the full. In Galatians 5, shortly before he talks about walking in the Spirit, 
keeping in step with the Spirit, he talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is, and he says it's this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, I asked you guys earlier if you were satisfied in your Christian life. Feel like you're satisfied? And as you look at these attributes of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, like, how do you think your life would, you'd answer that question differently if all these things were true of you? If you had these things in your life, how would you answer that question differently? I think it's important to know, too, like, with fruit, right, and if it's the fruit of the Spirit, fruit comes after walking or keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, and any gardener will probably tell you that sometimes fruit takes time to grow. You know, like you don't plant a seed and immediately you experience fruit. But uh, as we continue to walk with Christ and keep in step with the Holy Spirit, uh, fruit will come. These things will come, right? God doesn't break his promises. God keeps his promises. And if he promises the fruit of the Spirit to be this, we can trust that if we're walking in the Spirit, these things will come uh, with it. So when we let him shine through us, his glory is made known to us. We experience this amazing relationship with him. He also makes his glory known through us when we're doing this. So in that John 17 passage we looked at, uh, near the end it says, the glory that you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that we may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as, love them even as you have loved me so that the world may know. So there's going to be this reality when our lives change, the world knows uh, something about God. God's glory is made known to them. Not too long ago, Jerry led us through a series on the book of Acts, and one of the verses at the beginning, in Acts 1.8, Jesus makes this statement. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse is kind of an outline for the whole book of Acts, and it's really what happens in Acts. The, the Christians do that. Uh, they are his witnesses in all those places, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's what we're commanded to do as well in our context, our immediate context, a little bit farther out, a little bit farther out to the ends of the earth. God calls us to, as the church to do those things. And this verse is really a command and a promise. We're commanded to be his witnesses, but we're also, it's also a promise of something that he's going to fulfill. We will be his witnesses. He's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it through his church. Um, and I like what Jerry often says, too, when he talks about witnessing, right? Witnessing isn't sharing something we don't know. It's just sharing what we know. A witness on the, in the court of law shares what they've seen happen, and that's what we do. We just share what we've seen happen. And it's natural, right, if we're experiencing this amazing relationship with God to want to tell others about it, to want to witness about him. So, question for us, what kind of difference would it make to know with confidence of whatever situation you stepped into, that God, that you knew with confidence that God was filling you, that he was shining through you? What kind of difference would that make uh, in areas of growth in your own life, in areas where you want to help someone else? Uh, how about in the big situations, in the small situations, what kind of difference would that make to know with confidence? I think the more we let God shine through us, the more we will make his glory known, the more he will make his glory known in amazing ways in and through us. And that will motivate us to want to let him shine through us more, to want to give him control more in our lives. So how can we practically live this, these truths out um, so that his glory can shine more through us? I think there's a couple next steps we could take to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, 
One of them is just start this practice of spiritually breathing. You guys are breathing physically, right? That's good. Why not do it spiritually, consistently, and start practicing it? Exhale. Um, maybe when you take your first breath in the morning, it's a reminder for you to be like, I should be spiritually breathing too. I should be ask, I conf- confessing my sins. I should be asking the Holy Spirit to fill me. Maybe your last breath each day, thanking God, confessing sins if there's been things that have come up throughout the day. And why not throughout your day too? Um, another thing could be taking a break throughout the day. I think sometimes it's easy for me to just plow through my schedule and my to-dos and just forget to take breaks. But if, if I prioritize in those breaks, man, I want to, one of the first things I want to do is spiritually breathe, confess my sins, get right with God, and ask him to fill me with the Spirit, to ask him to, to shine through me, to work through me. Um, and you can pray, right? And let's say this is hard. It's hard for me. I've been doing this for years, and I still can just go, go about my way of doing things. I think asking for wisdom, uh, guidance, provision, increased faith. God, how do I do this more? Help me trust you more. Wouldn't he love to answer that kind of prayer? And then lastly, maybe even it's it's stepping out in faith to witness, just sharing what you know. Maybe God uh, would encourage your faith. As as you take a step of faith and you see him show up working through you, it's going to encourage you to want to do that more. So my challenge for you guys is you look at these four ways you could apply this is maybe to pick one. What would be one of these things you could apply today, this, this, start doing this week, uh, to, to take steps in this, in this area? So I have one last uh, illustration story I wanted to share with you guys that I feel parallels this well and kind of drives this, this idea home. So during the Depression, there was a sheep ranch in West Texas owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates was not able to make enough money on his ratcheting operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for food, for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidy. So if I was to pause and you picture yourself in Mr. Mr. Yates' situation, what's, what's that kind of like to be depleted, you know? To feel like, man, I'm, I'm working really hard, but... I'm needing to depend on other people just to survive, depend on the government just to survive. What's that like to be in that situation? Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over the rolling West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about what he would be able, about how he would be able to pay his bills. Then a seismograph crew from an oil company came into the area and told Mr. Yates that there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed the contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were more than twice as large. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and the mineral rights. Yet he was living on relief a multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem, he didn't know the oil was there. He owned it, but he didn't possess it. So if you were Mr. Gates and now you have this, Mr. Yates, and now you have this millions of dollars, what are you going to do with it? How's that going to change how you live your life? What kind of difference do you guys think it would make if we decided not to just settle for letting his glory dwell in us, but instead asked him to shine through us, continually did that. 
What kind of difference would it make if we continually uh, experienced the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? How would that change the way we represented Christ to others? I think it would make a glorious difference. I think it would change how we enjoy life, how we enjoy it as a church. I think it would give God a lot of glory. And I hope that will be true for us as a church so we continue to see, take steps in that direction. So as we transition from a time in the Word, uh, we're going to take a time to do communion. Uh, this practice that the church has done for thousands of years um, and we celebrate this at the bridge once a month, every uh, once a month on Sundays. And communion really is a time to remember what Christ did on the cross for us, right? He, the the bread, as we take that, is to remember His broken body, uh, broken for for us. Uh, his blood shed for us, the wine or the juice, um, and He took our place and punishment for our sins that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and receive his righteousness. That's what we remember as we take communion. Uh, before taking communion, though, we're also reminded in 1 Corinthians by Paul to examine ourselves. I think this is important, right, to examine ourselves. And this is really kind of what we've just been talking about. It's an opportunity, like David prayed in Psalm 139, he said, um, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And it's really an opportunity for us to do that. God, is there any way in me that's offensive to you right now? Is there any conflict? Is there any way that I've gotten off of step with you? Uh, we, can, we can confess that. We can spiritually breathe, right? God, I'm sorry for that. Uh, please take again control of my life. Lead me, guide me, work through me. Uh, it's, it's our opportunity to do that at communion as well. Um, so as those who are certain come forward of spiritually breathe. Um, and I want to invite you guys to pray with me. I kind of wanted to just lead us through a time of, of spiritually breathing, of confessing any sins that we are aware of and silently to the Lord and then asking him to fill us. So how about we take a minute to do that? Jesus, we thank you that you want relationship with us and you want a rich and real and full relationship. God, you don't want us to shove things under the rug, but you want us to be real with you. Um, and yeah, Jesus, I pray that you would just make that clear to us if there's any offensive way in our life, if there's anything that's hindering our relationship with you right now, I'd make, pray you'd make that clear for each one of us, that you'd point that out, uh, that we could confess that to you, Jesus, that we could be real about that with you, uh, acknowledge uh, the sin for what it is. Maybe it's just trying to be in control of our lives, Jesus, and not giving you control. Um, maybe it's hurtful things we've said um, because we're trying to do things in our own strength. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's um, moral failures. Um, maybe it's uh, just greed or things of searching for things of this world. Lord, I don't know exactly what it is for each one of us. But Lord, we confess those things to you as you make those clear to us. Um, and we thank you, Lord, that you give us the promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and that we can know we're forgiven and in right relationship with you. And Jesus, we ask above and beyond that you would fill us, that you'd work in and through us, that you'd shine, that you'd have control, that you'd have your way. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the bridge, we celebrate an open communion. So that means if you are a believer of Christ, if you place your faith in Christ, if you consider him your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to 
come up and take the, the bread and the juice. Uh, you don't have to be a member here. And after you come up, you can grab it, and then you can go back at, at your, to your seat and uh, take it whenever you're, you're ready to. So feel free to come up and do that.